and welcome to The World in 30 Minutes, the podcast on the events, policies and ideas that will shape the world from the European Council on Foreign Relations. My name is Mark Leonard, I'm Director of ECFR, and this week we are going to talk about the prospect of a green velvet revolution in Germany. For many years now, people have got used to Germany being run by some combination of the CDU, the FDP or SPD parties. But now many people are excited about the prospects of the Greens returning to government, maybe even running the government. And with the announcement of Annalena Baerbock as the Green Party's candidate for chancellor, there is a lot of speculation about what a green foreign policy would be like and what that would mean, not just for Germany, but for Europe as well. So to help us make sense of that, I have an all-star cast. From the German Green Party, we have Franziska Brandner, who is a spokesperson for European policy and parliamentary secretary of the Alliance, Bundesnitzisch Greens Parliamentary Group, as well as a board member and council member of ECFR. And also from our Berlin office, we have Janka Erter, who is the head of ECFR's Asia programme. Thank you very much, both of you, for joining Francisca, I want to talk about some of the specific areas like Russia and China and, and Europe. But maybe before we start that, why don't you just give us a, a hint as to what the world looks like for German Greens at the moment? How do you see the world that we're in and what kind of role Germany could play with that? The Green Party in Germany has a very strong and old tradition of international engagement and partnerships and even, you know, friendships with democracy and human rights actors around the world. That was a very strong part also during the time of the Cold War. Our name, Bündnis 90, Alliance 90, comes from joining up the Green from the Western Germany party forces together with those activists and actors, fighters for democracy and human rights in Eastern Germany. And this tradition of standing together with and for democracy and human rights has been defining our party for decades now. And I think that one should not underestimate the influence that has on our foreign policy because we have strong relationships with Russian civil society actors, with actors across the world that do stand up for international human rights and values such as the climate protection. So our approach to foreign policy is one based on values, international conventions, also on the understanding that we have global public goods to protect, such as climate, obviously, but also health, and that we have an approach that is multilateral. We do want to enforce and strengthen international organizations and cooperation. And to the current world setting, we see a competition between forces within our own states and across the globe between forces that do stand for liberal democracy and those who would like to abolish it and want to go back to nationalism. We see that battle, that ongoing battle, but we see it not just as one between states, but within states as well. So if we talk about strengthening democracy, we have to do it in Germany. We want to do it inside the EU and we want to do it worldwide. So these are the maybe the global outlooks of our party. And of course, you know, we've always had the 
the slogan from the creation of our party to think global and to act locally. And I think that global approach of knowing that we can only save the climate, for example, if we really do achieve it internationally, but if we also act locally, that this understanding is still very vivid within our party and our constituency. So why don't we go from that kind of general framework to thinking about what it means on specific issues. The, the biggest topic in the world, which everyone's trying to get their heads around, is, is about the rise of China. And I think that your party's been very outspoken on that, Francisca. When your Chancellor candidate, Annalena Baerbock, talked about the relationship with China, she called for dialogue and herter, dialogue and robustness, mentioning ideas such as banning products made by forced labour from the European market, excluding companies which pass on European data to the Chinese government from building European infrastructure. Yanka, as somebody who's been working on China for a very long time and looking not just at the, the debate around Europe, but particularly in Germany, how much of a change do you think there would be if these ideas get mainstreamed into a future German government? So uh, thank you, first of all, for having me. And for whatever role the Greens would play in the next government, these ideas would definitely be part of the foreign policy agenda because these are so central to green foreign policy making and the ideas and ideals that Francisca has already outlined in, in her first remarks. So I do think that Europe, Germany, but particularly Europe can expect a definitely a, a wind of change when it comes to Germany's China policy. And that is much needed because Germany does need a vision for what a modern kind of industrial policy, tech policy, climate policy can look like. And all that kind of is centered around the China question and how you relate to China's rise in that regard. So I do think that there is a lot of things that would be different. There's a lot more robustness. There's a lot more, um, there's a, a different voice when it comes to German industry. And I do think it's very much at the pulse of where the conversation has actually shifted already all across Europe, where it has shifted in many parts of Germany, but where it hasn't shifted quite yet in the chancelleries so far. And Francisca, if you think more specifically about the, the approach to China, how does the relationship with China fit into the general kind of idea about modernising the German economy and thinking about how Germany can thrive in, a, in an era not just of great power competition, but one where technology is changing quite dramatically? We believe that it's important to, of course, keep in mind that in order, for example, to protect the climate, we need to cooperate with China. But that on the other side, we need to be much tougher when it comes to human rights offenses and when it comes to our own resilience and our own capacity to act. And we believe that Germany has been in a position where it could trade with everybody and sort of outsource security concerns. And we believe that these times are really over, that we have to make sure that our own and our European security interests are defended. And that's why we have been arguing against the inclusion of Huawei into our 5G network, because we were arguing that a company that is by law obliged to hand over our data to the Chinese Communist Party cannot be the actor or the basis of our future industry. And that this is not an acceptable step. But in order for solving the German difficulty about China, we know that we have to diversify our exports. So we need to get into conversations with our big companies 
so that they do open up and discover new export markets so that we become less dependent on the big Chinese market. And we need to diversify imports. So we also have to become less dependent on imports, for example, in the medical sector. So it's a diversification strategy for exports and imports so that we become more resilient, less dependent and more capable of acting in a European way to defend our joint sovereignty. Following on from that, obviously, if there is a kind of realignment on China, that does offer potentially uh, an opportunity for a much closer relationship with Biden's America, because that is obviously the big challenge which they're facing at the moment. At the same time, there are a lot of people who came of age within the Green Party who have a more sort of sceptical approach to American uh, foreign policy and look at the world um, uh, with some kind of worries about American foreign policy. Certainly, Joshka Fisher was very popular for opposing the Iraq war and pushing back on Donald Rumsfeld and having a kind of a slightly different approach in the Middle East and some other areas, even as he moved away from, from pacifism and, and took a very brave stance in, about intervention in Kosovo and Afghanistan. How do you see the, the relationship with the US in this picture? You know, the US and the transatlantic relationship is a partnership, not a followership. And I think that is what defines for us the transatlantic relations. And we are very much aware that we are, you know, in a good position now because we have a new president, Biden, luckily. But we don't know what will come next. Uh, and that we have as Europeans really a responsibility to open up the space for President Biden to take more care of the, you know, of his own democracy in the US. And we have to take on more responsibility for our security in Europe. And that we have to strengthen our European capabilities. We really have to take the example of Iran. Now we're trying to set back an agreement and it's difficult. And during the Trump era, we unfortunately, as Europeans, were not able to uphold that agreement because the euro as a currency is not strong enough. So I still think that we have to strengthen these European capabilities so that we are in a position to also defend our European interests, for example, in our neighborhood in the Middle East. And of course, as long as we can cooperate with the, the American administration, the better. And we are rather of the opinion that it's a shame that the German government is not doing more with the new government. We should be much more active on the transatlantic climate chapter. We should go much stronger on the digital side. We just talked about also on the promotion of human rights, etc. So we rather see with awe that we are not reacting strong enough to that window of opportunity in Washington. Yanka, you've written a lot about what we could do in a transatlantic context on China, but also specifically around climate. What, do you want to lay out some of the thinking about what might open up if there is a green government or a green, partially green government? Yeah, I think there is a lot of opportunity here. And I think that's something that people tend to overlook when they look at the kind of fault lines that traditionally exist when they think about the Green Party. So the 2% often comes up, defense spending comes up, what is the green stance on military interventions? But actually, in the current conflict, that is the major kind of worry for the United States, that is China, that part is actually not as relevant. What is really relevant is 
the question of you know how do you stand on export controls? How do you stand on climate policy? How do you work together on joint industrial policy towards creating the kind of scale and the innovation that you need to compete with China on the global level? So these are the areas that matter much more. And I think there is, in terms of green foreign policy making, there's a lot of very comfortable in these areas to really take a step towards the United States because it is very much on the same level in that regard. Uh, Europe has a lot to bring to the table here. Germany has a lot to bring to the table here. And it plays a crucial role. I think particularly in the climate area and in green technologies, this is the one area where transatlantic cooperation on innovation, but on research and development, where just creating the kind of funds that are necessary and the scale that is necessary to roll out technologies that are then competitive and that have kind of democratic values built in, because that's exactly what this is all about in the end, our collaboration, that we do share a fundamental basis here. So I think this is kind of the baseline against which there are a lot of positive elements for for any kind of green government coalition to be part of a strong new transatlantic revival along the top goals that are actually on the top of the agenda for the Green Party as well. And are much less, the, like the, the bigger problems are much less problematic. So I want to spend a bit of time talking about the vision for Europe and how that's going to change. But before that, there's been a lot of news recently about Russia and particularly events in Ukraine. That was one of the topics which Annalena Baerbock addressed in her recent interview in the Frankfurter Allgemeine Sonntags title. A lot of people are contrasting her and her views as being quite hawkish compared to the sort of soft, more Rustan Verstehrsch views of Armin Laschet, the CDU leader. Do you think that's fair? Is there going to be a much tougher stance coming out of, of a Baerbock-led government if that happens? Yes, I really believe so. We have been constantly on a more critical Putin line since the last 15 years. Whenever we had developments, 2014, Ukraine, it's not anything new for the Green Party. It becomes more visible because now we have the candidate for the chancellery. But the Green Party has been clear on Putin's regime for years now. And we have been calling for the end of Nord Stream 2, for example, for years now. It's nothing new. By the way, we did it long before Trump argued against it. Um, we believe that Trump's argument didn't help us in the German debate. It was rather harmful. But we have been arguing against that project based on climate reasons, but also European solidarity reasons, for example, with Ukraine, but also reasons for not signaling to Putin that this crony project of his uh, entourage is one that we still support. So I think, yes, it will be tougher. And if you allow me on Armin Laschet, I have followed him for the last couple of years as a foreign policy actor, rather on Syria. And there I was always surprised how you know, forgiving he was to Assad and how close to Russia on these questions. I hope that he would change that positioning towards a more rule of law based approach. But these are the first, you know, memories I have of Ami Laschet is talking about Syria in a way where I was like, oh my God, this has nothing to do with the reality on the ground. Assad is the murderer. So we will see. And yes, I think Annalena is in the tradition of our party and now in the lead of our party on these questions. So we can explore CDU policy in, a, in another podcast, but it'd be good maybe to end with uh, a bit of a discussion about what the green vision for Europe is. 
Francisco, when we were talking for an article I wrote, you were talking about some of these generational lies which have lain at the heart of, of German European policy and how part of the Green Party's role will be to get Germans to, to face up to them and to talk about what you need to do to carry on succeeding in the, in the next few years in a much more geopolitically contentious world. Do you want to, to say a bit about that vision? It'd be great to hear what Juncker hopes to, to get out of uh, a Green Europe policy as well. Sure. As Greens, we have been advocating for a more constructive, proactive German role in terms of defining our European strategic interests together and then get the capabilities to enact them. And we believe that there are, as you said, sort of two, two big obstacles to that. And one is that we as Germans... And I would really say, you know, it's not just the government, it's sort of our tradition, have been following this approach of you trade with everybody and then you hope that they will become better. And you can trade with everybody because you don't have to pay any consequences. And that our export-based industry has been doing very well based on that model. But of course, it has also gone in certain aspects to the detriment of the interests of our partners and of our own mid- and long-term interests. And I think we need to have a debate on this in Germany. If we can equate German economic interests with German foreign policy and security interests. And I just firmly believe that there is no egality, that you cannot just say whatever is in Germany's business and economic interest is in Germany's and European foreign and security interests. And to have that debate, and especially, of course, what does this mean for German economic and business interests is one that we would like to really have. The second one is on Europe's and more specifically the Euro's role. And we think that, as everybody in Germany also believes, that we have been benefiting very much from the Euro, but that the Euro as a stable currency that can play an international role will only function in the long term if it has a fiscal component and a more stringent joint economic policy for all member states that are part of the Euro. And in Germany, we have this vision that we don't need this fiscal space, that we can just give it to the European Central Bank, hope that they do their job, and then at the same time argue that the Central Bank has a very limited mandate. And Karls were our constitutional court arguing that it has a very limited mandate. And this won't fly forever. There will be, you know, there will be times when we have to make a clear choice as Germans if we want to have a strong euro then we also need to have what it takes to have that in the long run. And I would argue as in more broadly, Mark, that we would like to take Joschka Fischer a step further. Joschka Fischer at the time said there is no green foreign policy. There's only a German foreign policy. And I would argue that there is no German foreign policy. There's only European foreign policy. And that this transition of really acknowledging and knowing there is no German foreign policy. The world is too much in competition. It's too big for Germany. And that if we want to make a point, we have to really declinate our German interests as European interests. And to do that step, I hope that we can contribute to that. That would be my vision for Germany in Europe that becomes more sovereign and more resilient in this probably not necessarily getting less crazy world. So, Janka, do you think that's uh, something which people are going to sign up to? 
I think it would be very appreciated in Europe if Germany were to take a step back so that Europe can take a massive step forward. I think that's kind of the idea behind this is that we can see it particularly on China policy, that the frustration is just growing among other Europeans, that this does seem to be led by German, not even industry, but German car industry interests only what's coming out of German kind of foreign policy making when it comes to China. And with a kind of an actual taking a lead in that regard, and with taking a stance on issues like 5G or on the comprehensive agreement on investment on a principled foreign policy, this would actually strengthen Germany's position within the European conversation, and it would strengthen the overall approach that Europe could take on these really critical issues. So I do think, yes, that could definitely be a vision that would find followers among many of the European countries, and it could just reposition Germany in a way that is adequate to its actual weight that it should play in European foreign policy debates. Can I add one thing, Mark? Because, you know, we all know that if we want to get a more coherent European approach to foreign and security policy, that we need Germany and France and all the others, but Germany and France are key. And these days, I see a lot of mistrust. The French always suspect that Germany, anyways, is just doing car policies. And Germany is saying France is just doing French policies anyway. And I think that if we want to get the European policy, we have to address each side's real problems. And we as Germans, we have to address the car side <laughs> and the French side, they also have to address the issue that they just don't extrapolate a French policy on a European level. And I firmly believe that if we don't address these issues in each member state, we will never get to European policy. And you can, you know, you can go on and make the chain about Italy, about Spain. We all have these spots in our national policies that prevent a more European approach. And I hope that by starting that conversation in Germany, we can maybe launch that debate in each member state and then really join forces at the European level. Great. That was fantastic. I think it shows that there's some quite big issues at stake in this election. We will also, by way of contrast, be looking at, at what some of the other parties are going to be offering up in their um, foreign policy visions. There's one thing left to do on this podcast, which is our bookshelf segment. Janka, what's on your bookshelf at the moment? I have two things that I would like to recommend. One is a website that's called the Green Recovery Tracker um, that you can find at greenrecoverytracker.org where you can see how the EU spending on green recovery is actually, or on the EU recovery fund is actually delivering on its green side because I thought it fits the color of the conversation today. And then there's a second little thing that I would like to recommend just because it's kind of cutting edge and really good to read is a report called China's FinTech, The End of the Wild West by a former ECFR colleague called Viviana Ju that is really helpful in understanding Understanding some of the more kind of cutting edge topics when it comes to dealing with China in the future. And Francisca, what's on your bookshelf at the moment? I don't know if you know that book. I like to read it. It's called Heimat Europa? Homeland Euro? And I think it has some interesting articles in it to, you know, that question of is Europe our homeland? Is it where we feel at home? And who feels at home in Europe and who doesn't feel at home any longer at all? Who doesn't feel comfortable in Europe any longer? And I think that debate is one that is fascinating, how we can ensure that everybody feels at home and secure in Europe. So that's a debate I like that we do focus more on. And that book is part of the, this debate. Fantastic. Well, we must have another debate about HIMAT because I know that's an important new green topic. So we'll have to get you back to talk more about our HIMAT. But thank you very much for absolutely fascinating discussion. If you've enjoyed listening to us, please do 
give us a good rating or review on whatever platform you've used to download this podcast on. We will put up links to all the publications we mentioned on our website at ecfr.eu slash podcast. But for now, from Franziska Brandner, Janka Ertl, and myself, Mark Leonard, it's goodbye. The researcher for ECFR's podcast is Lucy Halpenthal, and our editor is Marlene Riedel. <laughs>